Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So one week ago today, we released an episode called What is Hell? And I think that was a really interesting conversation. If you've heard it, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Maybe open some new, you know, lines of thought that you hadn't considered before or was at least maybe just intriguing or, or I don't know, whatever you thought of it. But we figured it made sense and was a good idea to sort of do the flip side of that and do an episode today called What is Heaven? So we're going to be talking about, in the same way that we talked about hell last time, we're going to be looking at what do we mean when we use the term heaven? And more importantly, what, what does the Bible mean when, we, when it uses the term heaven or terms like heaven? Um, how should we think about heaven in terms of a place? Is it a place? What is it like? What will it be like when people get there? It, you know, These are the kinds of questions we want to answer, at least for the most part, the same kinds of questions we were asking last week about hell. Um, but we figured it made sense to sort of pair these episodes together back to back in order to give both, you know, if, if Earth is in the middle, maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know, both sides of the Earth sandwich, heaven and hell. Mm. I don't know. It's probably a bad analogy. <laughs> no, I don't it know. Works. It works. <laughs> um, so that's the goal for today. I don't know if you have anything else specific on your mind in terms of goals or in terms of how you want to approach this conversation that you want to say at the outset? No. I think I'm good. Um, cool. So th- the first thing I wanted to do was talk about like just the word heaven or heavens um, as it's often appears in-, in English. It has a specific meaning. Like like obviously it's a word that we're familiar with a lot. You know, it's a common word I think is safe to say. Sort of like hell. There- there's definitely lots of um, connotations that it has. And, and I think everyone who speaks English kind of knows the word heaven, even if they might mean different things or use it a different context. But something that I think is is worth noting is if we if we look at, you know, traditionally, and we see this in like the dictionary, the first entry in the Merriam-Webster dictionary for heaven is the expanse of space that seems to be over the earth like a dome, a synonym being the firmament, like we see in Genesis 1. It's usually used, or at least in older translations of Genesis 1, and it's usually used in the plural, like the brightest star in the heavens, right? And when we say that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, um, It's it has a specific meaning that is not supernatural. It's not spiritual even, in the sense that it's referring to what we might call outer space today. Or, or the sky, um, everything above the sky, the actual the star. Earth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, we see this in in the Bible in places like Genesis one, um, but also in phrases like "new heavens and new earth." Right. This English word, um, I think, usually when someone says, "Oh, like they, they, you know, they're having something really delicious to eat," and they say, "Oh, this this cake is heavenly," like they're the association isn't necessarily that. The cake is from the sky. <laughs> oh, but I it guess is. it could be. Um, but it's more. This cake is so delicious and so good that I'm. 
I'm associating it with, you know, eternal paradise and bliss, it right? So we have come these, from heaven. It's just that good. It's it's literally a cake that God made. It's so good. Like it's it's heavenly in that sense. Or oh, I'm in heaven when, you know, you're in like a really fancy hotel on vacation or something like that. Like we we we're very familiar with the word heaven, but I think it's worth remembering that technically speaking, we, we kind of use it in a sense that isn't its only sense. Right. It's not even necessarily its original sense as far as the English language goes, where heavens were the sky, the stars, outer space. Um, and since God is not here on earth in bodily form to, uh, that we perceive him, he's, he's in heaven in the sense like he dwells in the heavens. And this also ties back to the concept that we mentioned last week in terms of what uh, different cultures have have conceived of the world and the universe being like in terms of cosmology, in terms of in terms of what the creation itself is structured like, where you have you know pillars on the earth and um, and then and then the, the the heavens like a dome over the earth uh, and the the heavenly bodies like the planets and stars in that dome and stuff like that. Um, so we don't need to dwell any any further on this point as much as um, just to just to remember, kind of like last week, to kind of take off our our lenses that we're used to thinking of when we hear a word like heaven, and just re- and and try and be a little more objective, try and be a little more clear headed, and just to sort of see what the Bible has to tell us about this place that we call heaven or this state that we call heaven or whatever. Um, and I'm not saying this to say that heaven shouldn't be thought of as a spiritual or supernatural place so much as just to say, like, we don't need to be super attached to a specific word. You know, like, there's not a one-to-one between, you know, the the eternal state of relationship with God and the word heaven, Right. Um, and we'll kind of see, I think, a little more clearly what I mean by that when we start looking at some passages. Um, but I wanted to start with just looking at the word itself, um, kind of like we did um, a little bit last week with uh, words like Hades and Sheol and, and that kind of thing. Um, because it can be really helpful to sort of de-fixate ourselves on certain definitions that we get used to thinking of. Not because they're wrong necessarily, but because they might only be one one piece of what's going on when we encounter a word or an idea especially in the Bible, which was written in a different in different languages many centuries ago, right? Um, so I feel like that's that, that was a helpful place to start. Um, and, and then other than that, I kind of just want to look at some passages and, and and talk about it. So but before we do that, um, I wanted to stop here if we've got any thoughts that we want to dwell on before we move on or, or any specific yeah. passages you wanted to start with. Not in particular. I just wanted to say, and, and I'm glad that is also where you started, but the, the words that we use do matter. And we also need to be clear in communicating what we mean when we use a certain word. Um, that's actually something that like outside of theology, just in my life. So the, the, at, at the job that I have in my marriage, in relationships with family or whatever, like something that I'm trying to do more consciously is to effectively communicate. Um, so whether that's via email, via text, over phone calls, but um, communicating communicating what I mean, 
uh, in what sense, uh, sometimes clarifying what a given word might mean. And so if we're going to talk about this idea of heaven, we have to understand that I think some people have some misconceptions about what heaven is. Um, like when we talk about heaven, are we talking about the place that we go away from our body? So when we leave this life here and now, our soul departs from our body momentarily to go be with the Lord. So where the Lord is, that is heaven. Or are we referring to the eternal place of the new heavens and the new earth where we're going to dwell forever? Because those are two different things. To go away, to be with the Lord, and to be physically reconnected with our bodies, um, living eternally in, in the new heavens, on the new earth. Um, so c communicating what we mean. Because if somebody means like, oh, they, they went to heaven when they died. Uh, if, if, if what we mean by that is they went to be with the Lord, then we need to say that's what is meant when we use that word heaven. If we want to talk about heaven in an eternal sense, eternally we're going to be in a physical body on the earth with the Lord. And we'll, we'll get there. Um, we'll, we'll see this as we look at Revelation, as we look at, um, I don't know, some of these other passages that we had. But again, I, I like that you started with words and really wanting to be clear and define and effectively communicate what we mean when we use a certain word. And that's it comes down to nuance. It comes down to... Um, just being careful theologically so as to not give the wrong idea. So, um, yeah, again, I think typically like when people use this word heaven, they're referring to it in an eternal sense. It's like the eternal destination of, of, of mankind. Uh, but we need to be clear on what that means, because I think some people do believe that we're just going to spend eternity floating on the clouds, you know, just playing some harps. There might be some streets of gold, but like, you know, we have our angels' wings and everything's just angelic and otherworldly um, when I don't think that's necessarily the picture of eternity, biblically speaking. So maybe now is a good, yeah. a good time to look at what does the Bible say about heaven, both um, in Genesis, meaning, you know, the new heavens or that uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, what does it say in maybe books like Daniel, books like Revelation? So to, to get the whole scope of scripture uh, and what this place is. So why don't we start, Lucas, with um, wh wherever you, I guess you want to start. I actually have a question. Um, yeah. You know, like punt this to later if, uh, if it, you know, if you have more to say at a later point about it. But um, I was, I'm wondering, just thinking about kind of like what the passages I was looking at and, and the thoughts I was having, um, I'm, I'm interested in what you said about the difference between uh, like eternity and like, like eternity future, I mean, and, you know, if I died right now, um, going to be with the Lord. Right. Um, I, like can't e either in terms of one of these passages that I just don't remember that we have later or in terms of right now, could you just like say more on that? Cause I've, I like, I, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I also yeah. kind of don't. And I, I find that super interesting and not something that I had thought of. Yeah, it's. It, I do have them coming up here. So let me just scroll through and find. Um, okay, so those who have died in Christ are with him now where he is. So that's something, again, to reference our descent uh, of Christ to the dead. Uh, what... Christ accomplished in his descent. The reason that he came to earth, lived, died, descended, resurrected, and ascended. Um, we have to understand those things when we're talking about this because Jesus's death 
changes the reality of death. No longer do no longer do the the righteous, the faithful go to the righteous place in Sheol, but they go to be with him. Uh, death could not hold him. Um, he you know he liberates those who were held there as they waited for their um, you know awaited for their Messiah to come. And so now Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the righteous of the Old Testament, and those Paul, Peter, John. Um, are with Christ where he is. Um, and I think where we can find this is, and if we, again, if we want to call this place heaven, we can, but we need to be clear and not misunderstand what that means. But um, as as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, um, basically they're away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, so if you pull up here, I'll just, I, I didn't have it prepared in my, in my Bible. I probably should have here. Let me just flip to 2 Corinthians uh, five eight. So it says in context, um, it's it's talking about it, they call this our future after death. So he says, for we know if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be uh, unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, so in speaking of this tent, this body that we live in, our physical body, I mean, we, this is something that I think we've mentioned a couple times, but living as embodied people in the world. Um, just like Jesus himself, like God chose to step into time as a man in a human body. And now as humans in bodies, we are quote unquote away from the Lord. We are obviously not with him physically. Um, but when our bodies decay, when we die, when we pass away from this life, our souls go to be with the Lord and we await that basically Christ's second coming where the new heavens and the new earth are established, where, uh, as we're going to read here, where God is making all things new, the renewal of all things, the, the groaning of creation. Um, because when we think about it, uh, God created a physical world, right? He, he created in, in Genesis, the, the earth, the land, the mountains, the, uh, the valleys, whatever, like all the things that we can see and perceive on this planet all of the things in the heavens, so the stars, the planets, comets, uh, the vast expanse, um, all of the things that we can see and perceive are physical things that were created. Um, and so we're meant to live um, physically. And in eternity, we're not just some like disembodied floating ghosts or something. It's not like we're going to be, um, you know, some amorphous like think of the movie Soul if you've ever seen that Pixar movie, um, where like the, the guy goes away from his body and he's just like a little like amorphous blob thing. Um, like that's not what we live the rest of our lives as. We we'll have a I don't know, I'm trying to remember where it is in the New Testament, but where where he talks about the the immortal body, where our bodies no longer will see corruption, you know, no more tears, no more death, no more weeping. Um, 
our, our final and, and finished form. Um, but yeah, like basically like first Corinthians 15, where we, where we put on our glorified bodies, we put on our incorruptible bodies, um, leaving behind the, the corruptible bodies that are susceptible to sin and death. Um, but yeah, that's basically like, I guess what I'm, what I was trying to communicate is that there are just like in, in the idea of hell, the idea of Sheol, um, meaning when somebody dies today, right now in 2021, they don't go to the eternal place of whether that's, um, the eternal conscious torment, whether that's annihilationism. Um, I personally think they go to that, that place in Sheol still, that holding place where they await the final judgment. Um, and similarly for, for Christians, we go home quote unquote to be with the Lord. Uh, but that home is not our final and eternal home. Um, so again, if we want to use heaven to describe both places, we still need to be careful and explain, I guess, what we mean when we're referring to those different places. But like, did that make sense or did you have more questions? No, that makes perfect sense. And it seems like, I remember like when we were doing our descent episode, I had this a few times, I had this feeling of like, wow, that's really obvious. (laughs) Why didn't I notice that before? And I, I feel like that it makes sense. Like it, it has to, it almost feels like it has to be that way because we're told he's like in the future, he's making a new heavens and a new earth. So how can, and that's where we're going to be, you know, at the end of revelation, that's how we'll, we'll, we'll get there in a sec, but like we can't be in a new heavens and a new earth that hasn't yet happened been yet. made. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's the idea um, of already not yet. It's that tension that we find all throughout mm-hmm. scripture where the, you know, mm-hmm. the kingdom is inaugurated, but not yet consummated. The, uh, our, mm-hmm. our eternal, existence is already in progress it's it, it, the process has been begun but it has not yet been finalized we are not in our incorruptible bodies um because our bodies are in the earth like we're mm. we're, we're dead and our bodies do see decay and corruption but we know that it's not the final it's not the the last death doesn't have the last word christ has conquered death and i guess yeah maybe maybe to help color both our hell episode and then this episode on heaven um two episodes that you might want to go check out even though they're a bit longer um, but if you can get through them they might really help understand a little bit of the context of what we're coming from but we had an episode like over a year ago on different um like end times theories so we're like you know premillennialism um, post-millennialism, amillennialism, like I think even that episode might help color what we're talking about here because depending on what you believe about the end of times, like what happens, um, personally, I am persuaded by the amillennial approach. So um, that that informs how I even think about this conversation of heaven as well. Um, and then also check out our episode on Christ's descent to the dead because that one also is going to be really uh, important in this conversation as we understand like well if christ did go to the dead what first of all what is the dead what was death what does he defeat uh what happens you know because it, it like like i'm saying if everybody in the old testament was held in sheol this place of waiting this place not necessarily of torment um but just like they're not with christ they're not with their lord um then when he when jesus dies and enters that place and transforms it by resurrecting like that changes the reality for us here today. Like we don't have to fear death in the same way that Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah did. 
Um, it was because, I mean, they didn't know. They didn't have the hope of resurrection yet because the Messiah had not yet come. They, they could look forward as prophets, as people of God, uh, but they didn't have the same um, confidence, the same assurance that we have as we do go to be home with the Lord today. But maybe we just j- yeah. jump into some of these texts and it'll, it'll start to make more sense. Yeah, I think that's good. That's really good. And a couple questions to, or I guess questions more just like thoughts to keep in mind. We've, we've kind of touched on this, but what what is heaven? I, I think of two ways to, to ask that or to, to answer that. So one is like, what does it mean to be in heaven? Which I think is the more important question, more the more uh, theologically significant and biblically significant question. Then the other question is what what is heaven itself actually like, right? Like similar to our uh, discussion last week. What what does this place like? How do we define this place, right? So I, I just wanted to throw those out there prior to reading these texts to kind of like keep them both in our mind, and we'll have some thoughts on both and 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 whatnot. But in my mind, if I was going to point to one. Um, text in the New Testament, well, in the Bible, that talk about heaven or, or give us what we could think of as a glimpse or a definition as far as what heaven is, it would be Revelation 21. And it's a little long, but I kind of want to just read all of this, if, if that's okay with you. And then I just think it's such a good starting point for looking at what the Bible says about heaven. And then we can kind of go from there as far as other texts and thoughts. So I'll read this as as quick as I can. I might skip over some parts, but Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old, or, the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So we'll stop there. Um, that That's the first, the first chunk. A few things that immediately stick out to me. Um, this new heaven and new earth that, 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 is, that is being renewed, that, that, that God in Christ is making new, um, it's characterized by the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is a common image we see throughout scripture. Um, but the new Jerusalem, which is prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and we know who is the bride, that's the church, um, is coming from God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, right? And that's God's dwelling place. It's now among the people, Um and everything is being made new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Um, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost. Um, and those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and, and, we, and they will be the children of God, right? So this is what heaven is, I think, essentially. It's, 
A, it's the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's those who are united um, to God through Christ by the Spirit, right? It's, it's, it's like that, that, is, that is what it means to be in heaven is to be um, a child of God. It is to be part of the new Jerusalem, part of the holy heavenly city. Um, again, the bride of Christ, all of that stuff. And um, it also means as a result of that, fulfillment. It's all of those things being fulfilled. There's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There's a new order of things. Um, the thirsty are given water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Think of John 4 um, and the, the water of life discourse there. And so we see, I, I think, this foundational aspect of what heaven is in terms of the, the intimacy of relationship with God, right? And and elsewhere, the Bible talks about what that means. We all, you know, Paul's always talking about being with Christ and being in Christ, right? Um, Second Peter, we read about being participants in the divine nature. Jesus prays for us in John 17 to be um, in him the way that the Father and the Son are in each other, right? Um we can go all the way back to the beginning before sin in Eden. Uh, the man and the woman had perfect relationship relationships with God, with each other, uh, and with nature. This perfect image of harmony where God is walking in the cool of the garden. Uh, the, the man and the woman are naked and unashamed because there is nothing to be ashamed of, right? And and th- this, this ideal um, I, uh, c- place of temple of communion with God which is fulfilled in this holy city uh, in in the new heaven and in the new earth, which is a replacement of the old order th- of things, which is passing away um, in order to be that place where the children of God dwell, right? And, and so I think like that's what I want to say is more important than like what does heaven look like or what does heaven feel like or smell like, right? Um I think some of those questions we can answer or at least talk about, you know, we, we have some some basis of talking about more of the specifics, as we'll see in a second. But ultimately, what I think is more clear throughout Scripture, and I think it's made more clear because it's more important, is this aspect of maybe we could say the relational aspect of heaven. So, like, if I say one day I will be in heaven, what I want to be talking about first and foremost is the fact <laughs> that God is going to be with me and, I, and he's going to be my God and I'm going to be his child, um, that I am in the, the new Jerusalem, which has been prepared as, as Christ's bride. Um, I, 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 am in, I have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? You know, all of these images, images and imagery that we see throughout Revelation leading up to this chapter um, that's what I think is most important and what I want to what I want to be talking about when I talk about heaven because ultimately I'm more interested in a person than a place. I'm more interested in being a participant of the divine nature than being a resident of a certain country. Now, being a participant of the divine nature adopted uh, into adopted by God, being united into Christ, that means I am, a resident of the kingdom of God. I, I have been given a heavenly country. I will be given a heavenly tent that, that you know, after I take off this earthly tent, like we referenced earlier from, from 2 Corinthians. So all of that is true. Um, but all of that, all of those things are a result of this relational truth. 
that that's really the core of what being quote unquote in heaven means. Um, and all of those things are outworkings of that relationship that we have with God at this future time, eternity future, that has not been inaugurated, we're not experiencing right now yet, but is our, you know, promise and what the, the, the hope of, of the faith is. Um, and then the rest of Revelation 21 does give us a little bit um, more of a picture, but it's also very symbolic. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you got to be careful of how you how you read it and what it means. Is it, you know, is it uh, figurative or is it literal in the sense that it's this is actually what it is? Right. So the, the rest of, of chapter 21 gives us descriptions of the, the actual structure of this new Jerusalem, the bride of the lamb. Um, and we... <laughs> we we hear descriptions of of, of precious jewels um, it's a walled city a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates um, on the gates are written the 12 names of of the tribes of Israel um, and there's three on each side north south east and west 12 foundations with the with the names of the 12 apostles um, underneath the wall of the city um, it's it's a square it's 12,000 stadia in length, and, and it's as, as wide as it is long. The, the wall is 144 cubits thick. Um, the wall is made of jasper. The city is made of gold. It's pure, decorated with, with jasper and sapphire and agate and emerald and onyx and ruby and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and turquoise and, and jacinth and amethyst. <laughs> and the 12 gates are just gargantuan pearls <laughs> and the the gold of the city is as pure as transparent glass right and so obviously what should stick out to us right away is all these numbers everything is 12 there, there's 12 tribes there's 12 apostles 144 12 times 12 12,000 thousand is is completeness like we talked about in our millennium episode so um we're being told very specific things about what's important about the city and John, as he's receiving this revelation, is being shown something that he's seeing, obviously, because he's describing what he's seeing. Um, but what's being communicated is something so much more than just the shape of a city or the measurements of a city, right? And this is tying back to, I think, what's important. Even as God is giving to John and the angel is giving to John, um, you know, visual representations of heaven, of the new Jerusalem, um, those visual representations are are really just tools to communicate something about the people of God, something about the children of God. We've got the tribes of Israel, the apostles, um, this this perfection and this glorious city. And then it concludes with the fact that there's no temple because the Lord and the Lamb are the temple. They are the light. There, there's no sun or moon, right? Um and there's no night there. There's 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 no impurity. The gates are always open. You, you know, we get this 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 beautiful depiction of, of this again, just this this paradise of a city, um, which which is true. You know, um, and again, kind of like we talked about last time, when we say things like, "Oh, Jesus is talking about Gehenna," and Gehenna is this particular you know flaming trash heap next to Jerusalem, that's not meant to take away from the spiritual reality. 
And when we say things like, oh, you know, 12 pearls and 12,000 stadia and you know, 144 cubits and, and all that stuff, you know, that, that's golden streets. This is communicating something, you know, metaphorical to us. That's true. But, but metaphor doesn't mean not true. It just means like we're, we're not necessarily all going to move to the same literal city that's shaped like a cube, which would be cool. But I don't know that that's necessarily what's going to happen. But what is going to happen is the, 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 king, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the church, which is built on the foundations of the prophets and the tribes of, and, and, and the, the people of God going back all the way to Abraham, um, in all of its glory is going to be where we dwell forever, right? And that's, that's what's important. That's what Revelation is telling us is important because here, when, when, <laughs> when John is literally being given a vision of heaven and told to write it down, to send to the churches, we're getting this focus on the relational aspect of, of what it means to be in communion with God, right? Can we just comment for a second on like, you know, think about how difficult it is as 21st century people to read Revelation and be like, what the heck is this talking about sometimes? Can you imagine like having read it as those first people as it was delivered, whoever, whoever the book of Revelation was first given to? Like, was there any, I was everybody just like rolling their eyes and like, what in the world are we listening to? I don't know. That was just, I never had that thought before, but that is interesting. Yeah. And I also wonder if maybe they weren't because they were picking up on, like, the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe an understanding not that this is fake, not that this is, you know, somehow just a cool story or whatever, um, but that this is deeply rooted in the history of God's people as revealed in, in all the scriptures. Um so like I say, that's, that's, I think, the most clear, like, here's what heaven is that the Bible gives us in terms of, it's, it's pretty specific, you know, that, that's literally what it is, is John seeing the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. But there are other things about heaven that the Bible teaches us. Um, one is that it's going to be physical, right? God doesn't make a new mode of existence, he makes a new heaven and a new earth, a new sky, a new a new cosmos, right? A new creation. Um, and again, a good place to start is the beginning. What did God do in the beginning before sin, before this separation between him and his creation? He made water and dirt and birds and the sun and plants and trees and a garden, right? And of course us, and he made us more or less the way we are now, right? He doesn't, he doesn't uh, talk about the first man and woman being, you know, made of, of different material than us or, 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 you know, made of some kind of, uh, you know, ghostly ectoplasm instead of, you know, bones and, and meat and blood and stuff. And, and I mean, quite the opposite because... He literally takes one of Adam's bones from his side and makes uh, makes Eve. So clearly, Adam had bones, right? Clearly, Adam had a physical body to be to be used as material to 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 build Eve or whatever. Um, so it's it's physical, which is not a surprise given that a everything is physical right now. I mean, I mean, there are 
there is this spiritual reality is, is part of that. But like we exist embodied and we exist physically and that's all we ever have as humans experienced. Um, but that extends beyond just our own lifetimes and experience and even goes back to God's original creation. Right. God, God created the material world from the beginning. He didn't create stuff and then later on, you know, threw it into the material world if, or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a good thing, you know? Like, it's, it, it's not a bad thing that we're in a physical world or um, that we are going to continue to exist as embodied beings. Um, if it was, then I don't think God would have taken on our flesh for right, us exactly uh, in the first place so yeah. um it's it's weird like i i don't really know what more to say you know like I, i've got we can go to first corinthians 15 to talk about how we know that our future state is physical um but beyond that like what does it mean to be that that we're gonna live forever in perfect harmony with god and creation physically i don't know we'll see like right i haven't gotten there yet so i don't really know what it's like but i do think it's important for a variety of reasons um but at the at the base of the, the matter it just is faithful to what is taught to us that we're not somehow escaping the physical world well that's the um, thing is like we're not i think that there have been you know different people throughout history throughout church history that that do have this idea that like the physical, the here, um, the bodily, that it's somehow evil and that to ascend to some sort of spiritual transcendence is, um, you know, what is good and perfect. But, you know, just like you were saying, like we are physical beings. God created a physical world. He didn't create the earth and the cosmos simply for it to fall into sin, but then be redeemed, but then spend eternity just like floating in the clouds somewhere in some just simply spiritual place. Like we said, Christ is making all things new. He is renewing. And when, when the Bible uses that term new, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be this brand new thing, um, but a renewal of the order, a, a, a reversal of the, the, the first great sin that was done. That I mean, we, we're all living in the effects of what Adam and Eve had done. Um, and it's a, a reversal of that. And, I mean, we can just, from scripture, from the beginning of creation, from seeing the heavens and the earth, and then ending, as we just read, with the New Jerusalem, the storyline of Scripture reveals God's commitment to the physical world that he created. And as you just said a couple of minutes ago, like he even stepped into the very created order that he spoke into being. So if God didn't care about the physical, why does he now exist in physical form as a man? Um, but our, like I said, our, our final destiny is not some disembodied, simply angelic or heavenly existence but rather life with god in communion with him on a renewed earth and that actually changes really like how we live here and now i mean i read a really good book last year um, called not home yet uh, by ian smith really short book published by crossway so like really really accessible book um, but it, it talks a lot about what we do here as embodied people and how it matters um, because we ought not live as though the physical were, were necessarily evil and that goodness can only be attained by a higher spiritual ascension or whatever. Um, but understanding that like the Christian's hope, 
I mean, is the renewal of all things. So we're, we're as I mentioned with the, the already not yet, like we're, we have a part to play in inaugurating uh, the final events that are going to unfold that we read about. Like as we live in this world, as we share the gospel, as we um, make disciples of all the nations, um, I mean, this is what gives meaning to life here as embodied people, um, understanding it. We know what came before. We know what we're living in now and we can see what's to come. And so we live in light of that. Um, Christianity is not just about what happens after we die. Like what we do here and now does matter. So um, we can pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But right now we actually long for the day where that is a reality on the earth, that his kingdom finally will come. It'll be firmly and finally established and we will reign with him forevermore. Um, but I think I've even said before, like, you know, the, this, this isn't our home. We're sojourners. Um, we're not of this world. And in some sense, that's true. Um, I, I think when we say that, we could mean like, you know, we're not of this age. Like we're people that aren't, you know, we're not Americans. We're not um, primarily Americans, I guess. But we are, um, we're Christians. Our, this earth, in a sense, is our home and it will be our home. Um, but just like I, as I was saying, sorry, I'm kind of like all over the place as I have like a thousand thoughts. But, um, you know, as I said about God creating a physical world, caring about a physical world, I mean, like all we have to do is think about like every time we see a rainbow, we are reminded that God has made a covenant with the earth. Like God made a covenant with a physical um, physical thing in a physical place that he will not destroy it with a flood as he did in Genesis. Um, like that's a, a pretty incredible thing. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I don't, I, I have a quote that I have here from Ian Smith. I don't know if there were other things that you wanted to say before we close. Um, but I think this is a good way to kind of close it out. Yeah, no, cause you, the only other thing I was going to add was, was what you basically just covered, which was, which was it's physical and it's renewed. Mm. That's what we see about heaven is, um, it's not just this experience going on forever but it's this experience fulfilled and renewed and redeemed, which I'm not going to rehash everything you just said. Um, but I think that that's a really good way to end it is to just, is to just uh, meditate on, on, on that truth that we see um, as characterizing what we, what we look forward to is, is redemption and fulfillment in the kingdom of God as his children. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I, where I, where I'm, I'm good to, to leave it. Sounds good. Well, like I said, this is a quote from Ian Smith in Not Home Yet. This is actually how he concludes the book. He says, the task of the church, uh, church, <laughs> the task of the church is both to declare the reality of Christ's rule over his creation and to show what it'll be like as individuals, families, and entire societies are renewed by the gospel of Jesus. We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus who will bring about this renewal or at least in part, we play a role in it. Um, and because of him, we are confident. We know that all will be renewed in this place called home. Um, so that's, uh, I think, a fitting way to end. So we'll also end with, with a prayer from the Valley of Vision. It's called Man's Great End. And it says, Lord of all being, there is one thing that deserves my greatest care, that calls forth my ardent desires. That is, that I may answer the great end for which I am made, to glorify thee who hast given me being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow men. Verily, life is not worth having if it not be improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little in this the thought 
uh, how little is this in the thought of mankind? Most men seem to live for themselves, without much or any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life, as if they supported that wealth, greatness, merriment, um, and as if that could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what false delusive dreams are these, and how miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them? For all our happiness, uh, happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art holy. Oh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and the folly of the present world. It is a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast and empty nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, uh, fleeting blasts of wind from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Give me the grace to keep in covenant with thee and to reject a delusional great name here or hereafter, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know you continually and to know that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me, apart from a life lived in and for the son of thy love. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Well, if you liked today's episode, um, give us a five-star review right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, more, I mean, honestly, yes, but more importantly, even just like share it with someone, share this conversation talk about it with someone, go outside and meet a real person and talk about it. I don't know. But whatever you do with it, thank you for tuning in and listening to uh, our podcast, whether it's this episode or any other episodes. We are always available to chat and connect on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast or by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Um, we're always really excited when we get feedback and questions uh, reading suggestions, uh, episode ideas for the future, things you want to see us do, things we can do better, things that you liked, you know, all of that stuff. We, we love to connect with people online and hear just, you know, your thoughts. We, we really enjoy and are blessed to get to interact with, with people online, even though we're, you know, potentially thousands of miles away. So it's super cool when you reach out. So please feel free to do that. Um, we are definitely uh, not hard to reach thanks to the internet. So uh, on that note, once again, thank you, and we will see you in the next episode.